Welcome back to Win Championship Repeat Boston Sports Podcast. And on this week's episode, we are going to be looking at the tough loss for the Patriots against the Buffalo Bills in the first round of the wildcard playoffs. Looking at where they went wrong, what ended up happening, and why Buffalo was so good. And also looking at what's to come for the Patriots in the offseason. And then we will look at the Boston Celtics, and there are a couple of different rumors uh, thrown around from different articles. We will look at that as well. And then we are going to be looking at, I guess, some Red Sox uh, information and just some articles and stuff on the Red Sox. So let's get started. So the Patriots versus the Bills was not good if you're a Patriots fan. It was a very cold game. It was a very tough game. And at the end of the day, the Patriots came out at the bottom. Buffalo 47, New England 17. They got destroyed. There was only the third quarter that the Patriots scored more than Buffalo. They got shut out in the first, 14-0, 13-3 by halftime. You know, and then uh, it just went downhill um, from there with the end score just being Buffalo, destroying the Patriots. Um, Mac Jones, two touchdowns, two interceptions, 232 yards, 24-38, and a QBR of 59.8, and a RTG of 75.8. Josh Allen was on a much better playing field, 21 to 25, 308 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions, QBR of 95.8, RTG of 157.6. So, Far superior numbers from Josh Allen compared to Mac Jones, who had an interception early in the game, which kind of started off uh, their troubles, and then other uh, another interception later on. Rushing-wise, Patriots nine of uh, nine carries, thirty yards. Damian Harris eight carries, twenty-seven yards for Ramondre Stevenson. Two carries, eighteen yards for Mac Jones. Devin Singletary sixteen carries, eighty-one yards, two touchdowns. Josh Allen six uh, carries, sixty-six yards. Isaiah McKenzie, 3, 29 yards. Um, interesting. Kendrick Bourne had only two touchdowns, which were the only two touchdowns for the Patriots. He ended up uh, with seven receptions, 77 yards. Jacoby Myers, 6 for 40 yards. Ramondre Stevenson, 4 for 33 yards. Hunter Henry, 1 for 30 yards. Yeah, not so good. Other side, we had Buffalo. Dawson Knox had a great game. Five receptions, 89 yards, two touchdowns. Gabriel Davis, two receptions, 41 yards, one touchdown. Emmanuel Sanders, one touchdown, two receptions, 36 yards. Tommy Doyle, one yard, one reception, one touchdown. So it was an interesting game. Stephon Diggs, three receptions, 60 yards. Yeah, not so good if you're the Patriots. Uh, much better if you're Buffalo. Patriots in this game had no sacks. Um, Buffalo's defense, one uh, sack from Boogie Bossom. One sack from Jerry Hughes, and uh, Star Latui had one uh, sack as well. Interceptions, Micah Hyde had one, and Levi Wallace had one, and there were none for New England. Uh, Kick returns, five, 103 yards for Gunnar Ozlowski, no punts returns. Kick returns, four for 35 yards. Buffalo, uh, Micah Hyde, two punt returns, 54 yards um, right there. Kicking. One of one field goals, two of two extra points for Nick Folk. Um, Tyler Bass, no field goals, five of seven on extra points. Jake Bailey punting 342 yards, two within 20 
yards, and Buffalo punted zero times. So this game was not what the Patriots were hoping for. This game was not what Patriots fans were hoping for. I assumed going into this game because it was cold, because of the weather, because of the situation, the Patriots, despite the record, uh, had the edge because they know, at least um, Bill Belichick and McDaniels know, how to do things on the uh, offensive side and defensive side in cold weather. Buffalo obviously gets a lot colder at times than New England, but the Patriots have had a lot of success with long-term head coach, long-term offensive coordinator in this weather. Now, Josh Allen went to Wyoming. Obviously, he is better equipped at cold weather than Mac Jones, who went to Alabama. But at the same time, you know, you came into this with a rookie quarterback taking on a veteran quarterback, taking on, you know, a team that was built around Josh Allen and a Patriots team that is still trying to build around Mac Jones. So I wanted them to win. I didn't think they had the greatest shot, but... You got to have, you know, hope that they do come out on top. They didn't. And so now you go into the offseason with a bunch of positives. Number one, I think Mac Jones is going to be AFC Rookie of the Year or Offensive Player Rookie of the Year because he had one of the best uh, trajectories, one of the best seasons as an offensive player for um, the uh, offensive side and for the AFC. We also have, you know, a team that now can build around a quarterback. Because when we had Tom Brady, we built around Tom Brady. You got Mac Jones, you can build around Mac Jones. You have Hunter Henry, who's a great tight end. Jonu Smith, who wasn't as good, but I think with another season, could be a better tight end with New England because the Patriots wanted to have this double tight end system that they're used to. You know, they had Martellus Bennett and Rob Gronkowski. Now they have um, Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. Patriots needed... A third down running back, James White is their third down running back, but he was hurt, so bringing someone in, whether it's James White or another wide receiver type running back guy, um, that's something that they'll have to focus on. They need a clear-cut number one uh, wide receiver. I think they have good wide receivers, but that sort of number one option, whether that's A.J. Green, whether that's you know another guy out there, whether that's drafting for one, that's a great situation, right? Because the Patriots now have options, and the Patriots now have a quarterback in place who's going to be there for the future. And Mac Jones with the right team could be not as good as Tom Brady, but could be a very good quarterback and could win a Super Bowl. So this is not their year. They were better than expected, and I have to give them credit. Getting this far is better than anything we could have asked for. And the New England Patriots are at a point where they are better than what they asked or was asked to be. And so you have to look at the positives of every situation, even though at the end of the day, we didn't win. You know, we have a lot to look at and say, look, we got a great quarterback who's our future. And now going into the offseason, you can build around that. You know, you can kind of get great players in the draft. And yeah, they have a lot of good things that are coming. They got a lot of draft picks coming in. And Patriots look like a bunch, you know, more succinct team, and I think, you know, as I said before, they need a wide receiver, a clear number one wide receiver, because I think, you know, between Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, those are good three wide receivers. They need a number one wide receiver. They need a third down running back who can kind of catch the ball while also run, like James White, if he comes back, or someone else. And then they probably need a good sort of 
front defensive line, um, some defenders. And so my guess is when it comes to the draft, maybe they're going to spend their first few picks on defense. Maybe Bill Belichick's going to do what he always does, which is trade down and trade. Let's say they get the 23rd pick. They trade down to like 28 or 31 and add more picks. Now we got our quarterback, so we're set in that regard. You just have to build around him. And then you'll be in a much better situation long term. Because it seems like they have the heir apparent to Tom Brady. Maybe he's not the better player. But you have a situation where he could be a good player at the end of the day. And I think this is a tough loss for the Patriots. But um, there's always positives. And they got themselves um, the makings of a good team. So... This is where they are, and Belichick's a great head coach. He'll know what to do. And as it gets closer to the offseason, we'll look at more what the offseason will bring. But here's where we're at. Patriots, unfortunately, lost, and we move on from there. So the Patriots, we move on to the Celtics. And the Celtics, there's rumors of the Celtics going after a few players. Jalen Smith, who was the former 10th overall pick in Phoenix, and also Jeff Green, which was a Boston Celtics player for a few years uh, earlier on in his career. So there's interest in Jalen Smith more so, and he did not get the extra money he was looking for from Phoenix. But there are also rumors that the Celtics are looking to move off of Dennis Schroeder, which could be the makings of a Smith-Schroeder deal. Now, for me, there is... A good reason why they should do this, and I will kind of tell you why. So, obviously, Smith is a one-year contract, and so is Dennis Schroeder, but it matches salaries, and Boston's looking to move Schroeder. And there's an argument to be made that maybe Jalen Smith hasn't gotten a good look because he's on a team that really doesn't fit what he's trying to do. Obviously, if you have Jay Crowder and Cam Johnson and DeAndre Ayton and it's very hard to give Jalen Smith the minutes he deserves, and at the end of the day, I just think getting him in here works uh, better. I think Cameron Payne's a great backup point guard, but Schroeder is having a great season. And Schroeder with Chris Paul, they were a great backup starting point guard group in OKC. He is someone who had one of his best seasons backing up Chris Paul. Um, I'm reading a Yahoo Sports article, and in the article... Jake Fisher, they put something in from Bleacher Report to Jake Fisher that he has heard Boston's reached out about regarding um, Phoenix's uh, Jalen Smith and relayed that Dennis would be a clear outgoing piece since their salaries match and Boston is looking to offload him. This is according to what he said on the Suns Solar Panel podcast. And, you know, there is a real case to be made. Yes, um, Boston's not giving up are not getting any real cap space relief because there would only be about $1.4 million in cap space relief compared to, you know, Smith's contract and Schroeder's. But I think this could be a good help in the front court, and giving him more minutes would be a great situation long-term. And if he works out, great. If he is not a good fit, that's fine as well. So I think Boston's in a season where they could make this move. They're not going for the playoffs. Uh, or if they are, they're not going to be a good playoff team. So keeping Schroeder around for one season doesn't really move the needle. If Jalen Smith comes back healthy uh, as a good power forward or you know a good bench piece, he's a great piece to have, right? 
And so I think there's merit to bringing him in. And there is merit for him in the grand scheme of things. Then I was reading another article, um, and it's from fadeawayworld.net. And it looks at three destinations for De'Aaron Fox, Boston Celtics are the perfect fit for him. And looking at sort of the deals that they throw out there, the deal they throw out there is De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald for Jalen Brown and Al Horford. Now, obviously Jalen Brown, they've stated in Boston, he's not on the table. But I think in the case of De'Aaron Fox for Buddy Heald, um, you know, those two guys could fit in Boston. And if you could find the right deal, you could find the right deal. And so Fadeaway World basically, um, you know, is looking at um, this situation, you know, they get an elite point guard, an elite shooter, which is stuff that they need, and Sacramento gets a top-tier wing. Obviously, it's just not going to happen with Jalen Brown involved, but um, there's a case to be made that the Celtics go after um, De'Aaron Fox because he is a point guard that they could use, and, you know, there's a case... Uh, maybe if Ben Simmons is traded to Sacramento, that um, they have someone who can play the point guard. They have uh, Davion Mitchell. Maybe they don't need De'Aaron Fox. And so Boston has pieces. They got young pieces. They got draft picks. Maybe this is the player they look for and the point guard they look for. He fits on the Tatum and Brown timeline. And if getting rid of cap space is important, you can trade Al Horford. So I don't think De'Aaron Fox is probably going to come to Boston, although I do think he is someone who would be a good potential fit if they do go for him. I was reading another article which comes from the Los Angeles Lakers, um, and it comes from Fansided, um, which is perfect blockbuster trade to help the 76ers, Celtics, Pacers, and Lakers. So what this deal kind of um, throws out there is a few things. Um, so I'll give you the basics. Lakers receive Al Horford and Tobias Harris. 76ers receive Dennis Schroeder. T.J. Warren, DeMontis, Sabonis, Karius LeVert. Pacers receive Russell Westbrook, DeAndre Jordan, Kent Bazemore, Robio Langford, Jaden Springer. A 76ers first-round pick, Celtics first-round pick in 2022 and 2024, and 2026, and a Lakers first-round pick in 2027. And the Celtics receive Jeremy Lamb, Ben Simmons, and Dwight Howard. So, from a Celtics standpoint, they are trading away Al Horford, Romeo Langford, and three first-round picks for Ben Simmons, Dwight Howard, and Jeremy Lamb. If the Celtics get this done, I would say they would do this because they're not giving up Jalen Brown. They're interested or have been interested in Ben Simmons. And I think this is, in theory, a trade that could get the ball moving for them, get the ball rolling for them. And why it would work is because I think... Um, they get another star, potential star player in Ben Simmons to go along with their team. And so I like this um, on there. And the Celtics, we're going to look at what the article says on why they should say yes. Um, let's just kind of go through the, the, the article here. The Boston Celtics are struggling. They don't really have a clear direction. Someone who can run the offense, that's Ben Simmons. Um, this is what they need. Um, and I think this is... Uh, Pretty good. Celtics aren't going to trade Brown for Simmons, and so this trade gives them sort of their third star-type guy, a point guard in Ben Simmons, um, and they don't have to trade an all-star back to do so. They trade the picks to Indiana, and Indiana trades assets to Philly. Indiana has no reason for Ben Simmons, um, and if they want to reset, 
Um, getting the draft picks are more important. They get off a of Horford's contract, um, and um, there is um, a way for um, this to work out uh, for all sides. Um, and while I'm not looking at this trade for every other team, I'm looking for it from the Celtics, and it actually works um, as well. Um, because Ben Simmons still has value. He is a top five perimeter defender in the league. He just needs a team that fits that style. Celtics absolutely fit that style, and having two perimeter wings can uh, shoot is perfect for Simmons defensively and offensively. The Celtics would suddenly be a really hard team to beat. I love Ben Simmons to Boston. Ben Simmons to the Boston Celtics, to me, is about as good of a situation as the Celtics can get. And the reason why... I think that at the end of the day that could take place is because they're not going to trade away Jalen Brown and they're not going to trade for a star um, outside of, you know, maybe Ben Simmons. And I don't really know if he's a star anymore the way things are going, but if uh, the value is lowest for the Celtics, or I should say if the value is lowest for Ben Simmons, the Celtics could pounce on a good situation. So there's a chance that this could take place but I don't really know. There was a trade that I saw uh, from fan-sided, the Celtics fan-sided, um, which was the Celtics get Seti Oseman, Ed Davis, Knicks get Dennis Schroeder and Dean Wade, and the Cavaliers get Emmanuel Quickly and Kemba Walker. And why they say the Celtics do this, they put more of an emphasis on Peyton Pritchard and Marcus Smart at the point guard position, and they also bring another scoring point forward in Seti Oseman. And not only that, but the center position would add defense with Ed Davis. Um, and this is why they, uh, you know, kind of look at different uh, shorter traits because they believe he's probably going to get moved. The Knicks do need a point guard. Um, they have Derrick Rose, who's hurt at the moment, but shorter would be a better upgrade at the end of the day. So could the Celtics do this? I think so. Is it a good trade? It's not bad. So... That's where they are. I was looking at another article also from Fansided, Celtics Fansided, which is a three-step trade deadline plan for the Boston Celtics. And what they say, first and foremost, is the Celtics trade for Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald and Alex Lund, and they trade away Al Horford, Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, Aaron Nesmith, Bruno Fernando, and a lottery-protected first in 2023. And then they say why the Celtics do this. Harrison Barnes is a proven championship-level starter and physically coupled with versatility. Could welcome him at the four. He can be a direct replacement for Al Horford in the starting lineup. Buddy Heald um, could replace the bench scoring. And Alex Len gives you big man depth. The second trade that they throw out there is Dennis Schroeder and Juancho Hernan Gomez for Luke Kennard. So the Celtics would be getting um, Luke Kennard in this trade. Why they say this works for Boston. This would be a great get for the Seas for Dennis Schroeder's expiring contract, which doesn't have a clear landing spot. Um, I think uh, Kennard is a tremendous return. Um, and, yeah, that's a pretty good situation. He's a good shooter and scorer off the bench if they can do this. I think the Clippers would be open to this if they can get a point guard out of this situation. Um, and then the third thing they say is... The worst part of this whole situation, which is bring back Isaiah Thomas. That's not going to happen. And I hate to say it, Isaiah Thomas has a ceiling, and I don't want Isaiah Thomas back. He's an undersized point guard who hasn't been in the league really that much. 
He's gotten 10-day contracts from the Lakers and from the Dallas Mavericks, and he's not that good anymore. He had one great season with Boston, and he put all of his heart and soul into one season. He's an average point guard, below average point guard. He's going to take away minutes from Dennis Schroeder. He's going to take away minutes from, um, in this case now, Pritchard and uh, Marcus Smart, who are going to be there. He is not a good player to have. And to all the Celtics fans who want to bring him back, it's not going to happen and it shouldn't happen. I would honestly be upset if Isaiah Thomas comes back, and he's not a good choice as a point guard at all. And there are far better point guards you can get. You have technically three trade exceptions to go and get a point guard if you need to. They were not involved in this situation entirely. You traded Schroeder and Juancho Hernan Gomez to make up for the Kennard salary. You traded Al Horford and Richardson for the Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald angle of this trade. There's three trade exceptions, plus a whole host of second-round picks and first-round picks and other stuff to use to get a point guard if you really need one. Isaiah Thomas is not the pick. Isaiah Thomas is not the guy. Isaiah Thomas is not somebody that I want and I would be honestly upset if the Celtics wasted any roster spot on Isaiah Thomas. His time has come. His time has gone. Move on. Now we're going to go to the Boston Red Sox and look at what's going on with them. Um, so for the Red Sox, it does seem like there's a good chance that this season won't play out. It does seem like there's a good chance that it doesn't work out for them at all. But there has been some stuff going on so far in terms of the Red Sox. So according to the Red Sox, this is um, MLB.com, they have agreed to a $1.2 million deal with shortstop Frehley Encarnacion, who ranks number 19th on the MLB's top 50 international prospect list, catcher Jonathan Garcia, who's number 34, his deal is in the $650,000 range, and shortstop uh, Frayame DeLone, number 50, for $1.1 million. So they had a signing pool of $5.179 million. Yes, um, I don't know anything on these guys. I'm reading the article. Encarnacion uh, projects to have a plus power and already shows the ability to hit high and deep home runs. Um, on defense, the 16-year-old shows good hands, a plus arm potential, and will have a chance to stay at shortstop. He could make the switch to third base if he outgrows that position. Garcia is better known for his bat over his defense at this stage of his career, but he makes strides in the defensive side. Great feel for hitting and performs well at the plate. And then DeLone has a line drive approach at the plate with gap-to-gap power. He's already a fringed average runner. Uh, twitchy shortstop with solid defense actions and decent arm that should keep him at the position. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, that's that. Those are some of the international signings they got. Obviously, um, that's their situation uh, right now. There isn't much baseball, but that is their situation. There was an article I was reading from Boston Sports Journal which looks at the best and worst free agency signings in Red Sox history. So, there is a lot of different names to look at. So, the best of the best on their list is Manny Ramirez, number one. Eight years, $160 million. Signed after the 2001 season. Had 274 home runs, 686 RBIs with the Red Sox. J.D. Martinez is number two, five years, $110 million. 
He's still here, 113 home runs, 361 RBIs, and won them a championship, as did Manny Ramirez. As did number three on their list, Johnny Damon, four years, 131 million. Was a pretty solid outfielder. Uh, 98 stolen bases and 461 runs scored. 0.295 slash 0.362 slash 0.441 for uh, some of his hitting numbers. Um, So that's their situation there with Johnny Damon. Then we have number four, Bill Mueller, three years, 6.7 million after the 2002 season. 41 homers, 204 RBIs, and 406 games was part of the 2004 ALCS. And then they have Koji Uehara, who was the closer in 2013. Uh, one year, 4.25 million, signed after the 2012 season. 79 saves, um, 2.19 ERA as the closer during a championship run. And they also mention, but don't give uh, information, honorable mentions, Adrian Beltray, Keith Folk, J.D. Drew. J.D. Drew was there in 2007, Keith Folk was there in 2004, and Beltray spent one year with the Red Sox. Now, their worst um, signings uh, that they, they list, or I guess I should say the worst of their list, is Pablo Sandoval, who was not that good, and Carl Crawford, who was also not that good. So both of those guys were failures because for the Red Sox, Pablo Sandoval ended up just getting let go, and they had to pay out a lot of his contract. And Kyle Crawford ended up getting traded to the Dodgers, but they had to get rid of Adrian Gonzalez as well. You could also throw on this list David Price because they had to trade Mookie Betts to get off of his contract. And so that's where they are, and that's where they have uh, been at the moment. So that is their situation. Um, That article kind of looked at some of that stuff. And, you know, there's been some good players. There's been some not-so-good players. And, you know, that is that that for uh, the Red Sox. Now, something else that just happened recently. John Lester announced retirement after 16 seasons and three World Series. So John Lester... Three-time World Series champion and 200-game winner. He's retiring. And so at the moment, for the John Lester situation, he basically uh, made 30 or more starts 12 times during his career and 28 during the final season, split between the Washington Nationals and St. Louis Cardinals. He is known for his days with the Cubs, more known for his days with the Red Sox, where he had a no-hitter as well as um, the World Series. A legacy of postseason success, he won two World Series titles with the Red Sox in 2007 and 2013 and a third ring with the Chicago Cubs in 2016. That was pretty good. Additional playoff experiences in 2008, 2009, 2014, 15, 17, and 18. Um, Very, very good person um, as well who had a great career and he's most, probably most known for the fact that he had cancer, was out and came back into the game and was as successful as you can get, you know, he was great. He was good. He had a great, you know, long-term longevity to his career. And I wish him all the success in the world because he was a big part of my childhood as a Red Sox fan being in 2007, 2013, you know, during those years when they were winning, you know, the Red Sox have always had those figures. And John Lester was one of those figures in my opinion, I'm a huge fan of his and his career and, you know, whatever happens in the offseason, that's a good thing, you know. And he was just a dominant pitcher for the Red Sox and then with the Cubs, uh, 
Wish him the best.